All right. Please take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 8. We're going to be talking about fears today, and as that sketch illustrated, there seems to be no end to the things that we can be afraid of. In fact, sometimes the news feels like that when it reports on stories that are quite rare or infrequent, but makes it sound as though they are a common everyday occurrence. How do we deal with those things? Well, that's what we're going to be looking at in this series. It's called Fearless. It's based on the book uh, by Max Lucado. And I'm going to be sharing messages from uh, the Gospel of Matthew and other texts that we'll be looking at today. And then in our ABFs, our Adult Bible Fellowships, we'll be using the DVDs by Max Lucado and some of the discussion questions to go along with it. And the goal really is to get us to trust more and to fear less. Let me read for us part of this passage today, verses 23 to 27 in Matthew chapter 8. It's a story about Jesus and the disciples. And then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. And he replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? And then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word this morning, we are so, so taken by the example of Jesus, our Savior and our Lord, who was at peace even in the midst of the storm, and who wants to teach us how we can experience your perfect peace in the midst of life storms as well. There are things in this world that are indeed fearsome and troubling, but you are greater than all, and when we know you, you are at work in our life, and you can give us the strength that we need to face life's challenges. We ask that you would teach us today as we look to the Scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. Ten years ago today, our world was shocked by the news that two planes had flown into the World Trade Center in New York City. Do you remember where you were on that morning when you heard the news? We would later in the day learn of another plane that had hit the Pentagon and then a fourth plane that would crash in Pennsylvania. I remember that I had been at a breakfast meeting that morning and I was on my way back to church. I was going to stop by the post office and pick up our mail and I turned on the radio as I was driving and there I heard this announcement that all air traffic in the United States had been grounded. I'm like, what? All air traffic grounded. You know how it is when you jump in on the middle of a story and you don't get everything. And I'm wondering, is this serious? Is this a joke? You know, it kind of sounded like the War of the Worlds story in the past when there was that radio program that went on and everybody got fearful about this alien attack. You know, I thought, what is going on here? And then later I heard that one of the World Trade Towers had been hit by an airplane that had flown into it. And there was confusion, and people didn't understand why or what had exactly happened at first. I went back to church. We came here. I set up a TV in the office, and we began to watch the story as it unfolded, to see the towers burning and to learn that not just one but two had been struck, and then to later watch in horror as those two towers literally collapsed. 
And at the time, I mean, if you've been watching the stories on this, you know, it was uh, said that there could be as many as 50,000 people who work in that area. I mean, the, the loss of life was estimated to be devastating in terms of the numbers of people there. And we were just absolutely stunned. We went into the reception room here, a number of us, and we just gathered to pray and pray for those rescue workers, pray for the people that were involved, pray for the families that had just lost loved ones. It was a day we would never forget. Our world changed that day. A new threat emerged of global terrorism. And two wars have followed and billions of dollars have been spent and thousands of lives have been lost to deal with issues of safety and security and to address this threat in our world. But that's only one of the things that we fear or worry about. In the past decade, we've had uh, large natural disasters like Hurricane Katrina or Hurricane Irene most recently. We've had an oil spill in the Gulf. We've had uh, other disasters. There have been tsunamis in Indonesia and Japan. There have been tornadoes in the southern states and even here in Minnesota. We have experienced those kind of disasters that occur in our world. And then there are the concerns that we have at times about things like the flu, like the swine flu becoming a pandemic. We worry about shortages in oil and grain and other commodities. We worry about jobs, the stock market, the economy. And we wonder, will it ever change? On the one hand, fear can be a good thing when it alerts us to danger and it spurs us to action. But fear can be a controlling thing. It can paralyze and immobilize people. Fear is a terrible master. Fear is a terrible master when we let it control us. So how do we handle our fears? Well, that's what we're going to look at in this passage. One of the things that we see in Matthew's Gospel is that following Jesus requires faith. Following Jesus requires faith. In fact, we can't be a disciple without faith. It is by God's grace that we are saved through faith. And faith is believing that what God has said is true. And so we come to understand who Jesus is. We place our faith, our trust in Him. And He begins to work in our life. And we are changed day by day. We learn that there is a cost involved in following Jesus. To be a friend of Jesus is to be an enemy of the world. The world, and talking about this fallen world system. We must surrender our life to Jesus Christ and follow where He leads. There are some who want to follow Jesus, but at no cost. And we can't do that. In the story that preceded the one we're going to look at today, in verse 18 it said that when Jesus saw the crowd around Him, He gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. And then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus wanted him to count the cost. And he said that foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. 
To follow Jesus means that He comes first in our life, above all other things, that He is Lord and He is God, and that we will worship Him and follow His leading wherever He may take us. That's what this story is about. It is a lesson on discipleship, and it is a statement on who Jesus really is. When we look at verses 23 to 27, we see that the disciples followed Jesus into the boat. Here Jesus is. He wants to, he's had a full day of ministry. He wants to get away from the crowd. And so he gets into the boat and the disciples follow him. And it's not a coincidence that they use that word, follow. It is a word that was used commonly to describe what discipleship is all about. If we are to be a disciple, we are to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And again, here Jesus was. He had spent the previous day or all that day uh, meeting with those who came to him. He was healing the sick. He was teaching the crowds. And Jesus needed to get away to rest. And it says that without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake. The Sea of Galilee is known for those kind of sudden storms that can build up. It is located uh, in an area where you have the hot, dry desert air that can build up over the Sea of Galilee. And what happens is that the cooler, moist air from the Mediterranean can come rushing down to the Sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee is over 600 feet below sea level. And so that air will come rushing down through the hills and mountains around it and it will collide with that hot air and storms can, up, can come up quite quickly. That's what happened here. Matthew calls this storm a seismos. That's the Greek word he uses, a seismos, like an earthquake, like saying this was like some kind of seismic event that was taking place here. It's like a mini hurricane that hit this boat when they were on the Sea of Galilee. And these men, who were experienced fishermen, were afraid. The waves swept over their boat and they feared that they were going to sink. And you have this picture here of Jesus who is asleep in the stern of the boat, a place where he could be away from the others who were rowing or who were in their activity to get them across the lake. And he is so exhausted from the day that he has fallen asleep and he is using what would be a sandbag, a a ballast for a pillow. It is quite a picture. The disciples are screaming and Jesus is sleeping. When you think about their fears, what are the things that frighten you? What are the things that trouble you most in your life and in our world? Is it a fear of growing old? Is it a fear of losing control? Is it a fear of cancer or some other disease? Is it a fear related to your finances or not having enough to live on or not having enough to retire? Is it a fear of failure, of disappointing others? What is it that frightens you? There is a word here for you today. As we go on in this passage, what we see is that fear and faith cannot coexist. Either fear chases out faith, or faith chases out fear. 
Either our fears will get the best of us and we will be focused on them or we will look to the Lord and in faith and trust Him and our faith will chase out our fears. Fear steals our joy and happiness. Fear erodes our confidence in God. Fear turns us into control freaks. I mean, you know, when we see uh, things that make us fearful, some of the reactions that people can have are they can become overprotective of their children or their own safety. They can become a kind of germaphobic, worrying about everything that's out there. Uh, they can become hoarders who want to hang on to everything that they have and, you know, it's never enough or they can't share, they can't give because, you know, you never know what's going to happen. They can become people who refuse to risk and refuse to live life as God intended. The disciples woke Jesus up and they said to Him, Lord, save us. We are going to drown. In Mark's Gospel, they said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? I mean, don't you care, Lord? Does God care? Have you ever wondered about that yourself? When you think about your own circumstances? And maybe you've been in trying times for a long period of time. And you're saying to God, Lord, it's been two years and I still don't have a job. Lord, my wife is dying of cancer. Lord, my son has walked away from the faith. Lord, my strength is gone and I am running out of hope. And maybe you have prayed a prayer like that and you've said to God, God, this is what's going on in my life right now. And maybe there are times when you wonder, God, do you care? Do you see what's going on in my life? What's the answer to that question? The answer is the cross. It's why Jesus came. He came to this earth to rescue us. He came to this earth to be our Savior. He came to this earth to let us know that one day this world is going to change. It's not going to continue as it is now in this fallen state where we see so much evil and sadness and sorrow and grief in our world. But there's a day coming when He will make all things new. And what Jesus does is that He gives us strength for today to meet the challenges we face, and He gives us hope for tomorrow. He said, I came that you might have life and might have it abundantly. And that doesn't mean that life would be easy or comfortable or safe. What He means is that we might have life to the full in terms of His richness, His blessing, and the hope that we have for the future. And does God change things in the midst of our circumstances? Yes, He does. And does God hear and answer prayer? Yes, He does. And we come to Him and we bring to Him our needs. The disciples did the right thing in coming to Jesus. They believed that He could help, and so they went to Him and He And they woke him up and they called out to Jesus to do something. We do that as well. I came across a story of a young man, Mark Ashton Smith, who is a kayaker. And he loves to go out and sometimes he goes out in some pretty rough waters. And while kayaking in southern England, just off of the Isle of Wight, his kayak 
capsized in treacherous waters. He clung to his kayak there as he was bouncing along in the water, and he reached for his cell phone, obviously a waterproof one, and he placed a call. And the first call he made was to his father. It didn't matter to this desperate son that his dad, Alan Smith, was at work training British troops in Dubai some 3,500 miles away. He placed his call. And without delay, the father relayed his son's mayday to the Coast Guard installation nearest to where his son was at. And ironically, it was less than a mile away. Within 12 minutes, a helicopter retrieved this young man from the water. His life was spared. And just like that kayaker, when we are in trouble, our first impulse should be to call on our Father, to come to Him in prayer and say, Lord, I give this to You, and I trust You. Jesus didn't rebuke the disciples for waking Him up. But he did rebuke them for their lack of faith. Their lack of faith. Do you really think that you can perish when Jesus is in your boat and his mission has not yet been fulfilled? They really didn't understand who Jesus was and what he had come to do yet. They were still growing in their knowledge and growing in their faith. And this was to be a lesson about who Jesus really is. You see, the answer to fear is faith. And we see that in what follows. He replied, You have little faith. Why are you so afraid? And then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. They were amazed at the authority of Jesus' words. They were stunned. I mean, speechless even. And what is interesting to me is that their question is actually answered in the next story, and it comes from a surprising source. Let's read verses 28 and following. When he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. And they were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, Son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? And some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus and said, If you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off and went into the town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed man. And then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. The disciples crossed over the Sea of Galilee to the other side, the region of the Gadarenes, a Gentile region. And we read here that two demon-possessed men met them. In Mark and Luke's Gospel, it is one man who is mentioned. It's the man who is called Legion because of the number of demons that were in him. 
That's not an inaccuracy in the story. That's just how we tell things sometimes. Sometimes if we see an individual in a crowd, we say, you know, I saw so-and-so today. Well, that doesn't mean that no one else was there. It just means from your point of view, you're telling the story on the person you focused on. And so here Matthew is telling about these two men that they met. And these uh, demon-possessed come out and they confront Jesus and they make some rather interesting statements. What do the demons believe? They believe that Jesus is the Son of God. It's the answer to the disciples' question. Jesus is the Son of God. But what is also interesting about that is that it shows us that it is not enough simply to know who Jesus is. I mean, the demons know who Jesus is. They just don't bow the knee to Him. They don't submit to Him in terms of worship and honor and praise. For us to come to know Christ, then, it means that we not only understand who He is in our head, but we've given Him our heart. And we say to Jesus, Lord, I believe in You and I will follow you, and I trust you. The second thing that the demons believed is that they believed that hell is real, and it is a place of torment. And there are many people in our world who don't want to believe that today, but the demons know. There are people who want to say that hell doesn't exist, or that no one goes there, or maybe only really, really bad people go there. Or there are those who think that if I go there, it's just going to be a continuation of life like it is today. And it'll just be one big party and who needs God and I'll just continue on with my carousing and drinking and partying and all kinds of things and that's how it's going to be, right? No, that's not what the Scripture says at all. Hell is real and it is a place of torment. And the demons know that when they said, have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? And thirdly, the demons believe that Jesus is the judge and he has the authority to send someone there. Jesus holds the key to death and Hades. And that is what Jesus does in this story. The demons begged. If he cast them out, they begged to go into the swine. Why? Because demons loathe the disembodied state also. And they want to have a body to possess. And Jesus commanded them to come out of the men. They rushed into the pigs and they perished. Why did Jesus send them into the pigs? Why did he destroy the income and livelihood of these people? You know, I was an economics major and that actually came up in a class where people missed the whole point of the story. And they were thinking about economics and they were thinking about, well, this doesn't seem very fair and the whole thing... And they miss the whole point of who Jesus is. He didn't do that to destroy a person's livelihood. He did that to show that he had the power over sin and over death and over Satan. It's just like when he healed the paralytic man. He forgave his sins. That was the bigger need. But he said, in order that you might know that I have the power to forgive sins, take up your mat and walk. He did things so that people could see the reality of His words, that He spoke the truth, and He was one who had authority over all of these areas of life. But the sad news is, in verse 34, that the people came out of the town and they asked Him to leave. It's the same today, though, isn't it? 
There are many people in our world who want nothing to do with Jesus. And they ask Him to leave. But Jesus is Lord and His Word is truth. In conclusion, I want to ask you a couple questions here. What is it, again, that is your greatest fear? What are those things that trouble you the most in life? Would you give them to Jesus and put your trust in Him? And my prayer for all of us is really that through this series, we will learn to trust more and fear less. The disciples had faith. They were followers of Jesus, but their faith needed to grow, and so does ours. I mean, that's the same thing. That's where we are. Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief, or help me to grow in faith, in my confidence in You. And how does our faith grow? It grows as we get to know Christ and His Word. It grows as we spend time with Him and we see Him work in our life. It grows as we fellowship together and we learn from the examples of others. If you're here, you know, and this is the first time you've come to our church today, this is a great time to begin. You know, it's why we encourage people to get involved in our ABFs or small groups and to meet with other adults and study the Scripture so that we might grow in our confidence, our understanding of who Jesus is, and come to love Him more and to follow Him with all our heart. That's our prayer. I want to encourage you to take the next step, and we'd love to help you to do that. Let's pray. Father, we, we see ourselves in the disciples when we put ourselves in those situations. There are storms that come up in our life that feel like seismic events too. They are troubling and they are fearful and we are uncertain. Lord, I pray that more and more every day we would learn to put our trust, our hope, our confidence in You. You are the rock eternal. And it is only in You that we find peace and strength and hope. Amen. Would you stand with us today? A thousand times I failed Still your mercy remains And should I stumble Your light will shine when all else fades Never ending Your glory goes beyond all things Your will above all else My purpose remains The art of losing myself In bringing you praise Everlasting Your light will shine when all else fades Never ending, your glory goes beyond all pain My heart and my soul, I give you control Come on and pray to love you from here.
now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.